Good morning, everybody. Y'all doing well today? Awesome. Well, Pastor and Don are out on vacation right now, and um, I don't know about you, but how many of you know we all need a vacation every once in a while? And, you know, through the years of ministry, um, I always like to say it like this. You never know what it's like until you're sitting in the hot seat yourself. And um, whenever a pastor goes on vacation, I just pray that God refreshes them, that he revives them, that he uh, expands his vision and creativity on fulfilling the mission of the Grace Place. And uh, we want to reach our city. We want to reach our world for the gospel of Christ. And uh, we need refreshed leaders and refreshed people. And so that includes you as well. So as you take your vacations and you take your time off, we always pray that God refreshes you uh, so that you can come back and do what he has called you to do. Um, Speaking about taking vacations and taking breaks, we're going to take a little break on the series that Pastor's in right now uh, called Action. Uh, It's on the book of Acts, and we're going to do a little two-part series the next couple weeks. Um, Here's what I want you to know. I am, at a point in this message today, going to address the tragedy of lost lives from Thursday night in our city I'm also going to address the tragedies in general in Orlando, Falcon Heights, Baton Rouge uh, that's really happening in the U.S. and our world. Um, But I'm putting it later in the message because I want to make sure that uh, our heart is right as we are hearing God's word for us today. I want to make sure that my heart is right as I'm delivering God's word for us today. Um, it's important that we, we remove our personal experiences, that remove our personal preferences so that we could see the heart of God. The Bible says God, <clears throat> man looks on the outward and God looks at the heart. So we want to make sure as we hear God's voice uh, that we're not hearing it through our preferences and ideals and political views, but we're hearing God's word through his heart. Is that good? Amen. We're going to start off this series today. Uh, This series is called Attractions. Somebody say Attractions. We're going to read from a scripture in Mark chapter 4. This story in Mark chapter 4 is called the parable of the sower. You could also call this the parable of the hearts. Jesus is telling a story here concerning the heart and how the heart of people receive The Word of God. Um, In this particular story, it actually talks about four different hearts, but we're going to zone in on one particular heart that I'm going to call the distracted heart. I don't know about you, but how many of you think that our world is a little distracted right now? Our own city is a little distracted right now. In this story is a description of what happens to the heart of people uh, when their hearts are distracted. I want to encourage you to read this whole story this week when you go home, but the, for the purposes of this series, I'm just going to read a unique part of this story. The story is about a farmer and about the farmer passing out seed. Uh, in the Bible, the farmer is a picture of who God is. The seed that the farmer is casting out is a picture of God's word, and the ground that the seed is casted upon is the heart of mankind. So, with all that said, would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? We're going to read from Mark chapter 4, uh, verse number 19. It says this For the person 
who God scatters the heart upon. This is what it says. All too quickly, this distracted heart, by the way, the attractions of this world and the delights of wealth and the search for success and the lure of nice things, they crowd out God's message in their hearts so that there is no crop produced. The attractions of this world distract our hearts. And the plan is that we become attracted for the things of this world. And because of that, no crop is produced out of our life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your wonderful word. God, your word applies to every situation in every life, to every time in history, to every generation, to every people group, to every culture, and to every nation. And I pray your word for the church today would go deep down into our hearts. God, I pray for every believer and every person who is not 100% committed to the gospel message that their hearts would be encouraged, corrected, and challenged by your word. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. You may be seated this morning. If I could offer up uh, Sean's translation on this particular scripture on attractions, here's what I would say. By the way, this writer is actually writing to Christians. He's not really writing to non-believers or people who are not all in with the gospel message. He's actually writing to believers. And here's what he's saying to believers. He's saying, hey guys, listen. When you're on the hallways of life and you're walking through your journey quickly and suddenly and in an instant, the attractions of this world are going to catch your eye. And all the beauty that this world has to offer is going to grip you. We all know that attractions are not always bad attractions. However, when the pursuit of these attractions become greater than the pursuit of the one who created us, that's where the issue lies. The Bible says that those of us who lose sight of the heart of God and are in hot pursuit of these attractions, that no crop is produced from our life. No fruit is produced in our life. In other words, we become spiritually stagnant. We are not getting anywhere. These attractions literally put a halt on our life. They put a halt on our marriages. They put a halt on our relationships. They put a halt on our healing. How many need healing in here? They put a halt on our healing. They put a halt on our careers, our country, our government, and even our world. Is there anybody who is on halt today? Possibly because you are distracted and you have a divided heart because of the attractions of this world? Does it seem like our world and even our own city is a little stagnant? Are we seemingly to battle the same things over and over and over again? With the same hurts over and over again. The same political issues over and over again. Fighting about the same things. I want us to keep in mind that attractions are not the only reason why our lives may be put on hold. But perhaps... It is definitely one of the reasons. Here's also another great reason why our lives can be put on hold is because of this one word, mercy. 
Mercy is simply when we don't get what we deserve. In other words, God's given us a second chance. How many know we need a second chance to get it right? How many know that people who don't know Christ, they need a second chance to get it right? Is your heart distracted today? See, one thing that I know about a distracted heart and when it's attracted to the things of the world, suddenly when the heart is instantly attracted and distracted from the purposes of God, the things that are normally not tempting to you and I start to draw us in. The word attraction, Clay and I were talking and he was making this graphic and he came to me and he said, Sean, did you notice how the word attraction actually has the word act in it? And I went, you know, that thought crossed my mind for a second, but I never even went down that road. And as we look at the definition of the word attraction, it actually says this, the power of drawing forth a response. Listen, an attraction is the power of drawing forth an action towards a desire. Listen, humanity craves for many things, but here's two things that they crave, life and belonging. You write that down. It's not in your notes. Humanity craves for life and belonging. Why? Because God put it in our hearts. It's a need in our heart. We are attracted to things that will bring us life and belonging. We are attracted to people that can bring us life and belonging. Here's another way. We are attracted to these things that promise to fulfill these desires called life and belonging. That's why at the very end of the day, God is after our hearts. And he's going to lead us to attractions that he gave us, by the way, to fulfill the desire for life and the belonging in our hearts. In this series called Attractions, today, the message we're going to focus on, if we had a title, I didn't get fancy, we're just calling it Temptation, the Attraction of Temptation. I want us to take a look at at a story in the Bible that will help give us insight on this word called temptation. It's found in Mark chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, verse 5 and 8, and it'll be up on the screen for you. And anyone who welcomes a little child in... On my behalf is welcoming me in. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone around your neck and to be thrown into the depths of the sea. What sorrow awaits because it tempts attempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. As I read through this scripture, I notice some things about temptation that I want to look at. Number one, I notice the problem. In Matthew 18 and 7, here's the problem with temptation that we see at the end of verse 7. Temptation is inevitable. Temptation will always be lurking around. For you and I. Remember, this was written to believers. For the believer, temptation is there to distract, derail, and delay God's purpose for your life. It is to attract you to the things of this world that promise to deliver, to fulfill that need for life and belonging that God placed in your heart. Did you hear that? 
The enemy is in hot pursuit to attract us. He wants to distract our hearts because our heart is what God is after. He wants to derail, he wants to delay, and he wants to put our life on hold. The Bible puts it like this in John 10.10. He says this, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy our life. The enemy wants us fruitless, church. He wants your life fruitless. He wants your marriage fruitless. He wants to ensure that there is no spiritual fruit from your life. He wants to make sure that there is no hearts won over to the kingdom because of you. He wants you going to church. He wants you busy in church community programs. And he wants you busy sweeping the streets and painting schools and doing all those good things. And those are all great examples of the love of Christ. He wants us doing all those things. But he would love for us to be busy doing those things. Yet souls not being one. Church, we can never read into the lie of the enemy that only lost people are tempted. The story was written for believers. Hey, for those of you who are in this room right now, and you are not 100% all in to the message of Christ, I want you to know this, that the majority of the people in this room, a large majority of them, if you actually sat down and talked with them today and had a conversation with them, They are all fully aware that they have temptations just like everybody else. And they would admit to you today that they are not perfect. And I'm going to admit to you today that I am not perfect, that the church is not perfect. But what helps us become perfect is what Christ is doing in us. In no way, shape, or form do we or do the church ever claim, this church, claim to be perfect people. One of the enemy's greatest deceptions for those of you who are not 100% all in on the message of the gospel is that he wants you to believe this lie that all Christians think they're perfect because if that's the truth, then you can go ahead and hold on to the reason why you're not coming over on this side of the fence of being all in because they're all hypocrites. And of course, you don't want to be a hypocrite. But here's what I want to say to you today, that all Christians are hypocrites. That's another deception from the enemy for every non-believer or every person who is not 100% all in on the message of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, no matter what standard of behavior a culture or a group of people subscribe to, they are all guilty of not being able to hold a 100% to that standard. It doesn't matter who you are, Christian, Jew, skater, <laughs> we are the world, the, the, the gay, lesbian, transgender community. It doesn't matter what community you're a part of. The truth is that we cannot hold 100% to the standard that we set for our own lives. So I guess that just makes us all hypocrites. So we're in good company today, all right? Just look at the person next to you and say, I'm so glad you're a hypocrite. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, temptation is not only inevitable for the believer. Listen, temptation is inevitable for the non-believer. And Christians, here's, here's what I want to say. Non-believers are not held to the same biblical standards that you and I are. We can't expect them to run around in, with, in purity. We can't expect them to not run around in drunkenness. We can't expect them to chase after the things of this world that are attracting to promise to fulfill their need for life and belonging. Because they have no clue. They don't know. 
They know in part. They're not absolutely ignorant. But they don't subscribe to the same things that you and I do. As Jesus lays out the life of standards and goodness and godliness, it is for Christians, not for unbelievers. And it's not until that they fully subscribe and dive 100% of the message of gospel are they held accountable to that life. They're already held accountable to the way that they're living. For the non-believer, here's what the temptation is. The temptation is to disillusion you from the pure message of the gospel and ensure your spiritual death and separation from God in eternity. And I'm not going to rev that point up. I want to say it soft because it's serious. The disillusionment for every person who is not 100% all in on the message of the gospel is this. That the message of the gospel is not pure for you and it's tainted because of what you see in this world. And the enemy wants to ensure your spiritual death and separation from God. The enemy loves to use negative press on the church to disillusion people who are not all in. He loves to use Christians to disillusion people who are not all in. Here's what else I want to say if you're not all in today. Being 100% all in does not mean you understand everything about the Bible. Being 100% all in doesn't mean you agree and you believe in every incorrect and strange thing that every Christian or every church has ever done. It doesn't mean that you're subscribing to that. Being 100% all in simply means that you know that Jesus can fulfill the desire for life and belonging in you. And that what he did on the cross was enough to repair your relationship with the Father in heaven. And when you subscribe to him and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing more and nothing less, that means that you're all in to what he's done for you. Can you say amen to that? I want to say today, if you're not 100% all in, You might be sitting in your seats thinking, but I believe in God. The Bible says in James 1, 2, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. Here's what the scripture is saving. You can believe in someone and not live for and with someone. For example, You can have a biological parent but not know them as mommy and daddy and protector and provider. And God doesn't want to just be somebody out there that you think and know about, but he wants to be your protector and he wants to be your provider. And when you feel like the world's against you, he's for you. Our church, our world is hurting really bad. They don't need our sharp words. They don't need our lashing out. And they don't need a dose of your truth. They need a dose of the love of God. That fixes everything. Temptation is inevitable for all of us. Temptation's attractive. Church, it's attractive. 
That's why so many people in the church get caught up wrongly in the affairs of the world because temptation is attractive. It's a trap of the enemy. Why is it so attractive? The Bible says it's fun for a season. It revs you up and gets you all worked up, gets you all hot and bothered. Sorry, I knew that that was like a, a wrong thing to say in this moment, but I just felt like I needed to say hot and bothered just to kind of shake myself up and shake you up a little bit. <clears throat> if you're a student in here, <clears throat> you got to hold off on the hot and bothered thing until you're married. <laughs> Listen, man has a desire for life and belonging. And temptation is not only inevitable for believers and non-believers, but temptation is attractive. There's a natural attraction to temptation that is causing a response. It's pulling us to these things that are promising to fulfill life and belonging. Listen, the attractiveness of temptation is simply this. It's the enemy's counterfeit to everything that God calls good. Temptations are the enemy's counterfeit to everything that God calls good. Temptations always have a little bit of truth in them mixed with a lot of non-truth. For example, I was at McDonald's yesterday eating McChicken nuggets. And I thought I was going to eat a chicken nugget. And it just, it wasn't chicken. It's called chicken nugget, and it looks like chicken, but it wasn't chicken. You guys know, I knew that. I knew that. I'm just saying. It looks like a chicken nugget, and it's not a chicken nugget. It's like half truth. You know, there's a little chicken in there, but it's not chicken breasts. It's chicken lips and chicken butt and chicken nose and beak and ears and... It's like trying to eat a cake without any sugar in it. It looks like a cake. It looks good. Have you ever been to those potlucks? You're like, man, that looks so good. And that one person that comes and brings that dessert, you're like, man, that's going to be so good. It's nobody in this church anyways. And you grab it and you go to eat and it's like, oh my gosh, what is this? Splenda. Splenda is not a substitute for sugar, people. It's not. But it looks a lot like what it should be, but it's just not quite what it is. That's what the enemy does with attraction and temptation. There's a longing inside of you and I for life and belonging. And God can satisfy those longings. But the enemy has created counterfeits to all of the things that should fulfill our desire for life and belonging. Let's take a look at God's design for sex. His desire for sex is to fulfill the pursuit that he put in us for life and belonging. For sex between one man and one woman. This literally causes life. A baby, a child. It literally causes relational intimacy in a way that nothing else can cause relational intimacy. Life and belonging. Sex. It's great. Get married. Do it. (laughs) Here's what Satan's counterfeit is. Ready for his counterfeit? It's a little bit of half-truth. Satan's counterfeit for sex to fulfill life and belonging and attract us and tempt us is immorality. It's the improper use of sex. 
outside of God's boundaries of marriage with one or multiple partners to fulfill the sexual desire given to us by God for life and belonging. In pursuit for life and belonging, chasing this counterfeit called immorality without going into all the details is half truth, but it doesn't, he doesn't tell you the whole story that it causes diseases, death, confusion when it comes to intimacy and relationships, it causes sexual abuse, it causes sexual addiction, and it causes a pursuit for sexual fulfillment that will never satisfy. It's counterfeit. It's attractive. And it looks a lot like what God provided. Let's take a look at another counterfeit of the enemy. God's design for food. Don't you love food? I love food. I love talking about it. I love cooking it. I love eating it. I love looking at it. I love dreaming about it. I love going to potlucks and looking at three tables full of food that I can never eat, but I just love going, wow, look at all this food. It's fun. God put a desire in us for life and belonging. Food. God created it. Why? To give us healthy bodies, to extend our life, and to enjoy this in the company of others. Food also provides community when shared with others. And all of this fulfills the desire for life and belonging that God put in you and I. Satan's got a counterfeit to that. That counterfeit is called gluttony. The improper use of food outside of God's boundaries of moderation. I can't really talk about that because I'm just naturally skinny. And I'm sorry about that, and don't be mad at me. It just happens. And I can be a glutton too. Just because I'm skinny doesn't mean I can't be a glutton. In the pursuit for healthy life and belonging, people chase this attractive counterfeit called gluttony. In this next part that I'm going to say, I have no idea why I'm saying it, and it must be the Holy Spirit because I don't, I don't normally ever talk about this because it's not close to home to me. It's just not something that, uh, that I've seen family deal with. But abusing the one thing that sustains our physical life on this earth outside of moderation, people speed up the death process through this thing called gluttony because they are attractive to try to fulfill this desire for life and belonging. People have settled for closet eating, binging and purging, and chasing after food because they are trying to fulfill a desire for life and belonging. They just can't seem to fit. They just can't seem to fit in that pair of jeans that culture finds acceptable. Because maybe if they can, then maybe they can belong. They miss out on community that's built by sharing a meal together because they're afraid to eat with other people. It may be possible that this simple act of sharing a meal with somebody who cares and accepts you just the way you are can provide the belonging that you are looking for. Folks, the list can go on and on about the enemy's counterfeits. He's got a trick up his sleeve to provide every good thing that God promises that will satisfy life and belonging for you and I. We must know that temptation is inedible, it's attractive, 
And we also must know that temptation is a lie. It's a lie from the enemy. Temptation never satisfies what it promises. You're always going to be baited with a, a lie, and it will never deliver. And I wish I could tell you that the tug of war, this temptation, will go away. But can I tell you, when I read in my Bible in Galatians 5.17, the Bible says that the enemy is opposed to everything that God has for you and I. There is a spirit and there is an evil spirit. And the Bible says that these forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free. So you're fruitless to carry out your good intentions. The second thing I want us to notice today, and don't worry, by the way, we're not going to get past point number two today. So those of you who are looking at your notes and and wondering what time is it, are we going to get through this? No, we're not. It's okay. Number two, I want us to notice the people in this story. As you study history, you see a few things that have never changed throughout history. People are tempted, tempted by sex, they're tempted by money, pride, prejudice, greed, and the list goes on and on and on. But let's take a look at some of the people. I want us to notice the children in this story. The Bible says anyone who welcomes this little child in on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts me to fall into sin, we're going to pause for a minute. I want us to consider when God says these little ones, I want us to consider not only little ones as children, but I want us to consider little ones as new believers. Any one of us who causes one of these little ones who trusts me and you lead them to fall into sin, we got to understand that we are in the business of shaping lives. We are giving our children and new believers in Christ thinking patterns. We are passing down values. We are passing down beliefs. I want you to think about this. Consider the way different cultures treat women. It may anger you. But I want you to consider that that's what they've been taught. It's been passed down to them. Their grandpa, their grandma, their brothers, their father the men that they trust most in this world to give them the deepest value in life. Teach them to treat women this way. So that's what they do. I want you to consider somebody who was abused emotionally. I want you to consider somebody who was abused sexually or physically. And this may be hard for some of us to understand because we have never walked in their shoes. I want you to consider somebody who's born black somebody who was born Mexican with brown skin. I want you to consider somebody who's an immigrant to this country who move into this world and they try to live and move in this life with freedom. I want you to consider what life is like for them and the values that they hold. I remember an Asian man was giving my wife and I a pedicure when she was pregnant with Ellie. I love pedicures. I don't think I've had one since, but I really love them. (laughs) And he saw that Chris is pregnant, and he looked up at her, and he said, monkey see, monkey do. (laughs) Sorry, I'm really bad at the, the, the Chinese accent. He said, monkey see, monkey do. Your daughter will do everything that you do. Here's the warning for those of us who are in the business of raising kids and leading people in their faith. Monkey see, monkey do. 
I want us to notice the second person in this, not only the children in this, in this story, is I want us to notice the tempter. Who's the tempter? Anyone who tempts one of these little ones. The tempter is you and I. To cause them to fall into sin. It'd be better for us to put a large millstone tied around our neck and drown in the depths of the sea. A sorrow awaits the world that tempts people to sin. your reactions to what is going on in our city, in our world, is not pouring out the love of Christ and it's tempting people to sin, we got to check ourselves. If our words are inciting anger and infuriating rage, we just, we need to consider You don't want to be the person that causes his kids to stumble. You know how a mama bear responds when somebody messes with her kids? And I've seen some ferocious mama bears. I'm, I'm like, dear God, in the church. <laughs> it's like when mama bear comes on, she's at the altar the next week. She just takes off her Christian hat and like, <laughs> earrings come off, high heels come off. Hat comes off, wig comes, what, what, hey, whatever's going on for you, it all comes off because mama bear's here. Can you imagine how the father feels about his kids? You think mama bear's ferocious. I want us to look at the source, C, in the point two, the source. The source is temptation. I want to read Ephesians chapter 2 and 3. It says this, you, speaking of believers, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Hold on. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers. What's the powers? The demonic influence, the demons. He's the commander of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. There's a heaven and there's a hell and they're real. There are real spiritual battles. The final part says Satan is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey. Here's what we need to understand. We have a world that is lost and dying. And we have people that the enemy is working through. And I'm not going to get all over spiritual here. Are people possessed by demons? Yes, some are possessed. But listen, but knowingly or unknowingly, people are subject to Satan's influence. And they are at work in his grand operation. And the word for the church concerning what's been going on is that according to this scripture, no person is the enemy, church. The enemy is Satan. The church knows this. 
People who are not 100% all into the gospel don't understand this. So as much as you want to try to convince them and make them believe, they just don't understand that. But we do. The enemy is Satan who parades himself and dresses himself up to attract people to find life and belonging. And they're going to do, the world's going to do that all kinds of different ways. They're going to protest and they have the right to do that. They're going to do everything they can to maintain peace, to get justice. Why? Because they want life and belonging. We got to be careful as the church to take the face of the enemy and put it on people because people are not the enemy. The Bible says our fight is not against flesh and blood. We cannot ourselves be caught up in this temptation and this deception that the enemy has mixed together for you and I. It is difficult to know what to say. I get it. I'm standing here talking to you. It's difficult to know what to say. And it's a whole lot easier when you're not in the hot seat saying it. Because you can say one thing and offend certain people. And you can say it another way to try to fix that and offend another, another group of people. Guys, we can't be in the business of trying to be politically correct and not trying to offend people. Here's the business we need to be in. The business of pointing people to Christ. I was at lunch with my wife and I said, I have to address this tomorrow. The leaders of the church, we have to lead the church. We have to lead people in our generation correctly. And she said, it's really simple, Sean. We just lead them to Jesus. Lead them back to Christ. Because if our eyes are on him, they'll do the right thing. Understand this concept, with, and I close with this. The Bible says that man looks at the outward and God looks at the heart. It doesn't matter if somebody's an orphan. You might look at somebody walking down the street with hardly any clothes, with no job and no education, and you judge the outside of them not realizing that they've been passed around by 16 different foster care families, been poofed out into the world with no education, no father, no person to protect and provide for their life, and they find themselves on the street. And without the heart of God in mind, we judge the outward appearance of them. And we might say they're an outcast to society. They're sucking off the system. They're leeching off of us. When the real truth is, is they never had a father to teach them and to protect them and to raise them right in the ways of God. But the Bible says that God doesn't look at the outward, but he looks at the heart. So whether you're talking about an orphan, whether you're talking about a single home family, whether you're talking about being black, or you're talking about being right, people are hurt people, and they're lost, and they've been raised in a world, and they have been unprotected, and they have not been provided for, and they're hurt, and they're lost, and they just want to know, is there somebody who cares about me? Because they have life, and a desire for belonging inside of them was put in them by God. And they want to know, is there justice for me? Does somebody care about my pain? Is there somebody willing to partner and help me? We got to just keep in mind that there are good people in the world and there are bad people in the world. And they are black, white, Asian, Hispanic. There are police officers and there are judges and there's teachers. And there's good ones and there's bad ones. 
God says that man looks at the outward, but God looks at the hearts. Here's God's heart for the church concerning this. When we judge the outward, we block out the heart of God in the matter. When we judge people by their outrage and their pain, and we don't take time to look at their heart, we block out the heart of God in the matter. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. This is not intended to be an easy thing. He's not saying love the devil. He knows our flesh, and he knows we're going to judge the outward, so he's telling us, love your enemies. Loving our enemies is his strategy. His, his, <laughs> that's his way to get his heart to his people and his message to every lost and dying person today. As we close today, you can bow your heads and close your eyes. We're talking about temptation today. Our world is tempted. They are tempted to feel this thing that God put in us called life and belonging. And they are attracted by the counterfeit that the enemy has out there. All of these counterfeits are just hijacked from what God promises in his word for those who are 100% all in with him. And Satan has put together the perfect package for people promising to fulfill those desires for life and belonging. But I want you to know that God is after the heart of man. And his plan to reveal his heart to a lost and dying world is you and me. It's the church. And we are the only way. Our love for our enemies, people seeing the love of the church, is the only way they might hear and see the gospel message. Here's what I want to say if you're not 100% all in on this message of Jesus today. Right now, in this very moment, in the heat of temptation to follow the attractions of this world in the pursuit for life and belonging, you can stop chasing those temptations today because they will not fulfill what they promise. Jesus will fulfill every desire of your heart. He will heal every pain in your life, every pain that you have had or every pain that you will have. As long as you decide today to go 100% all in with the message of the gospel. And here's what that means. Jesus wants to fulfill the life and belonging in you. And the way that he's done that is he's died on the cross and he's took in your place. You and I are gonna all pay for this penalty of sin that we have done. And Jesus decided to pay that penalty for you and I. And when we put our faith in what we did and we, we accept the fact that what he did is enough for us, it restores us and puts us in right relationship with the Father. And we become 100% all in and we are simply saying, we're not saying I know everything about the Bible, I get it, I believe everything that every church is in. What you're saying is I'm all in with the word of God. I'm all in to obey what God's word says about me and my life. If you're in here today and you are not 100% all in, maybe you've never heard the message of the gospel before, maybe you're far away, but you are just not 100% all in, I want to pray for you. And the only thing that you need to do is you need to admit in your heart that what Jesus did on the cross was enough for you. And here's how you're going to do that today. You're just going to simply lift up your hands, signifying what's happening in your heart today. If that's you today and you say, I want to be all in with Jesus, raise your hand today.
I want to be all in with Jesus. Thank you over here. Anybody else? I'm not 100% all in, and I want to be 100% all in with Jesus Christ. Is there anybody else in here? I want to give my heart to Christ today. I want to be 100% all in to what Jesus has for me. I know that he's the person who can fill, fulfill my desire for life and belonging. Anybody else in here today? I want to be 100% all in. We're going to pray a prayer for the person who raised their hand. You can put your hand down today. And I want everybody to pray this prayer with me. This prayer is not a hocus-pocus thing. This prayer is just simply a declaration of your heart. You can say it with your words, but if you don't mean it with your heart, it means nothing. So this prayer is just a declaration saying, Jesus, I believe in you. So let's say this prayer together. Dear Lord, I thank you for dying on the cross to fulfill my desire for life and belonging that was given to me by you. Thank you. I am 100% all in to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for healing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, today, if you are 100% all in and you are a believer in this room today, God is asking you and I to commit to not see the world through its outside appearances. Not judging the world by their words, but seeing the world through the heart of God. 